welcome to She Brigade the Podcast. I'm your host, Belun Tlemsemeche. On this podcast, we bring you amazing trailblazing women to come and share their life and career journeys with you. From entrepreneurs to 9 to 5ers, join us as each guest takes you through all of the highs and all of the lows of their journeys that have led them to being who they are today. Hey Brigade and welcome to another episode of She Brigade. If you're new here, welcome and I hope you come back for more episodes. If you're a returning Brigada, welcome back. Just a reminder, if you like this episode, share it with a friend or on social media and tag us at SheBrigade on all social media platforms. Also, don't forget to rate and review us on your podcast listening platform and subscribe to our newsletter for all the latest updates. The link will be in the show notes. Our guest today is Lebohang Masang. Lebohang is a PhD candidate with a master's in social anthropology. She's an award-winning author and poet, And in this episode, we discuss anthropology as a career and how the discipline has shaped our society in South Africa. We also discuss the impact of reading and having books that represent our voices and faces as black people in South Africa. Lebohang took us through all of this, how the arts have shaped her life and how she hopes to do the same for others through her own art. So let's dive in. Hi Lebohang and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Bello. How are you doing? I'm great. Um, I'm so happy to do this. I'm so happy that we get to do this. And I'm glad that we get to do it face to face as well. Me too. Yeah. Me okay. Too. So on this podcast, we like to start all the way from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So take us all the way back to what it was like for you growing up as a child, primary school, high school, all of it. Okay. Um, I was born in Stockholm in Sweden in the oh. 90s because my parents were exiled freedom fighters. They were mm. part of Umkonto Esizwe. So that's where I had my very first beginnings. And then when South Africa moved into um, a democracy, you know, which is so significant today, mm. then yeah. we came back home. Just by the way, on that, we're literally recording on Freedom Day. Yes. <laughs> I know this will air like a few in a few weeks, but we're literally recording on Freedom Day. Yeah. Yeah. So um, then my parents came back to um, the country. We lived in Pretoria for a while. I went to various Afrikaans primary schools um, and then my parents were employed in government. So there was like this very cool place where all the kids who worked at the specific place, um, whose parents worked at the specific place, we all went to um, nursery school there. And then when I went to primary school, that was... um, at a place called Springvale Primary Mm. in Verda Park. Um, That was great as well. I loved it because I was like an achiever, you know. And it was quite interesting because it was like full of white children, but also full of, actually full of all children, Mm. but mostly white children. And somehow the white children had had... um, you know, their parents had historical relationships with the teachers. So it was so interesting, uh, this feeling of invisibility, where like, I come where I come from, I'm very special. But when I get to school, I wasn't really that special, you know. Um, And it was just an interesting space to be in. But I worked really hard, I achieved a lot. um, And that made me happy. Um, achieving made me really happy. It made my mom really happy, so it made me happier. Um, and then I went to high school. I went to the National School of the Arts, which is in Bromfontein. Um, and I studied, I majored in dance, but we had all the subjects, really. Mm. Um, so I 
was a dancer and um, I was doing good at academics as well. And I think the, the most special thing about going to the National School of the Arts, I think it's one of those experiences that have really shaped who I am because all of us there knew we were special. We knew yeah. we were going to be stars, you know, like we had no idea how. Well, at the time, you know, we thought we were going to be dancers or musicians or artists or actors, but we just knew that we were going to have a very incredible life path. Um, and some of the people that I went to school with are really incredible people mm. in the industry. And um, whenever I see how well they're doing, it just really affirms that that was a very special place to have gone to high school. So I, I really love that part of the journey. And when I was... Um, Coming to the end of my high school career and I had to figure out which varsity to go to, um, I suddenly decided that I wanted to go to Lysoff. I wanted to study fashion. And I think that was an influence of watching The Devil Wears Prada. Oh my gosh, um, that's my favorite movie. <laughs> I love it, right? And I was like, oh, and, and, and what that exposed me to is that, you know, you don't just have to be a designer, yes. um, but you could really be in the business of fashion and you could mm. be a writer as well uh, within that industry. And it's just something I became so incredibly passionate about. And I applied to Lysoff and they accepted me. Um, and that was going to be my next path until my mom, the year that I was meant to go to Lysoff, which was 2009, my mom was like, you cannot go through with this. Please, please go to um, a, a proper university only because you're so smart, you know, and, <laughs> and she stroked my ego and she said, you're just so smart. It's really such a waste if you go and study oh fashion. Gosh. And I was like, OK, fine, mom. But I, I really had no aspirations of being in a normal job, I, I couldn't figure I couldn't figure out what on earth I would have done. But I said, OK, mom, that's fine, you yeah. know, because also I love my mom and her advice has never let me down. So I said, OK, so I s applied to this and uh, I applied for a B.A. And when I got there, I did a what do you call it? I did. Um, she said she wanted me to do international relations because she wanted to be a diplomat. I didn't want to be a diplomat, but I signed up to do international relations anyway and politics and sociology. And the one thing I didn't know what it was, anthropology. Um, but the lady was so she was so friendly and her smile was so warm. And I was like, oh. I want her to be my lecturer, you know. Uh, it turns out that was Dr. Kelly Gillespie who became one of my biggest support systems yeah. um, in, 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 in university. So I go along and I'm studying and it's really hard because, you know, you've got like four different disciplines and each of them are pulling you in a different direction in terms of uh, the kinds of um, theories that come up and what you must do in your mind to understand these theories and how you must write and how you must be able to deliver on what you're being asked um, in an essay, for instance. So it was just difficult, but I loved reading. And I love writing, so it nurtured all of those, mm. thank goodness. Um, and then, what happened? Oh, yeah, and then, yeah, I went along and I got my degree. And then I was like, right, time for me to go get a job. Um, so I luckily managed to get a job at uh, Viacom Africa. So I was doing the social media for like um, Comedy Central and MTV Base and so on. And that was such... An interesting experience because after my first day of work, my first, first day of working in an office, I came home and I cried because I just couldn't fathom what I had just done to myself for the past eight hours. You know, it was an, an experience that I'm incredibly grateful for. But what had happened in that day is that I had woken up early. 
and I had gotten to work and from a certain time to a certain time, I had to use all of the power of my brain to be switched on and to be doing this work. Constantly. Constantly, right? And as I'm busy trying to do this, my manager comes and is like, okay, and this. And then there's an email. And this, and it was, my head was constantly spinning. And then I had one hour off to eat and then I had to jump back into it again. And I, I didn't like that, you know, like in the end, it was a really amazing space to work in because it really isn't like a normal corporate office at all. Yeah. yeah. So I could dress how I wanted. So many people had tattoos. Uh, That's when I started getting tattoos as well. And it was just like a fun space. It was so amazing. But it just, I couldn't fathom like, is this going to be the rest of my life? I was like, I can't. So I was like, okay, I'm going back to school. (laughs) So I went and I did my honors. And I've been in the school system since actually. Um, I never left. I was just like, I'm just going to stay here. (laughs) I'm not going anywhere. So I did my honors, did my master's. And I'm currently doing my PhD now. So yeah, that is my journey. But one thing I must say as well is that... um, there was a lot of there's been a lot of reading and writing like ever since I was young um, and ever since I discovered the library in primary school, you know, because um, I didn't know what a library was before then. I just had books of my own. Yeah. And then um, they gave us a tour of the library and they said, well, you're allowed to come and choose one book a week. And I was like, wow. So I get to have access to all of these books. Like I can and have stories. any book I want. You know, <laughs> yeah. it was amazing. So the library became like one of my favorite spaces in school. And I became really good. Um, I don't want to say friends with the librarian because I was scared of her. But she adored me. <laughs> and she like, let me take out more books than other people in my grade. So it was just a fantastic journey of like stories and stories and stories. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. that Wow. What a journey. I have so many questions. <laughs> What a journey. Okay, so firstly, I want to just go back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Why dance? Why were you... You said you majored in dance when you were mm. at the National School of the Arts. Why why dance? Why dance? Hmm. So when I was in primary school, I did dance there. And I think from when I was young, I just always wanted to be special, okay? And I enjoyed feeling special because my mom put a lot of effort into making me special, mm. feel special. So when I went to school... it's interesting the school that I was in when I tell you that the parents had historical relationships with the teachers there's a way of creating almost like a click you know Mm. where certain children in the school or certain children in your class or in your grade because their parents are so close with the teachers it just feels like they're getting special treatment you know what I mean and like no matter how hard you work you're not seen and you're not affirmed as much, right? And that, I, I, I couldn't <laughs> figure that out. And so when there was this dance teacher and I was always really thin, so we started dancing and I just had a natural flair for it. Like I was just really good at it and she paid a lot of attention to mm. me, right? And so I think that's what you're looking for as a child. Yeah. You, just someone, you just want someone to affirm you um, and to guide you. And so... If maybe maths is not your strong point and English is, you just want someone to help you hone those skills, really. Mm. And so uh, with the English and history and dance, especially those teachers were particularly attentive to me. And so I was able to flourish. I was able to work hard. I was able to be disciplined. And so when it came to, and ha, this is coming from someone who in grade one, Bello, it was the Christmas concert. We're in grade one. Nobody knows us. But somehow I get cast 
to play the Christmas tree. Do you know what it means to play a Christmas tree in a concert for three hours? You sit there for three hours. <laughs> I, 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 was, I, I was like, maybe there's a plot twist somewhere. I'm like, no, yeah. maybe you're going to say, maybe the tree had to sparkle and, I don't know, dance around. No, you sit there and the only thing you're allowed to do is move your head and sing. That's it. Other people have entrances and exits. Yes. <laughs> Other people have got costume changes. And so I just, I, I, I remember being seven years old and just feeling like, what an injustice. Like, I can do more than this. Mm. I can sing. I can dance. And you want can, to do more. And you want to do more. But somehow I sat there as a Christmas tree. And that, I, I suppose that injustice <laughs> never escaped me because by the time I left primary school, I was the lead in all of the concerts and all the dances. And I was the valedictorian sure. who oh, was wow. doing the special dance at valediction, you know. Mm. And thank God for that. But... I don't know. I just, I just feel like, you know, children are special and they should all be treated as though they are special. And mm. being in a situation where, I suppose because of the historical legacies of apartheid and being in a former Model C school and, you know, having parents who's, who probably went to that school and whose elder children went into that school before some of us were even born, there are particular stratifications that happen there. Um, you can see favoritism and biases and all kinds of things. Mm. But... Yeah, I, I, I think that's how I got into dance, really. Um, it was just Miss Kruger who saw me and nurtured me and, you know, gave me all of the incredible lessons. So then when it was time to go to high school, I knew I didn't want to go to the high school that everyone else was going to because that high school had a very big sporting culture. And when it was the open day, they were explaining and quite proudly telling us that, you know, there's a tennis court and a basketball court and a netball court and a, <laughs> and a, and a rugby field and a soccer field. And, and I was just like, mm -mm -mm. <laughs> this is not going to work like, for mm -mm. me. No. This is not going to work for me because what, what I also had discovered being at school is that I don't run well and I don't run fast yeah. and other people run faster than me. And it breaks my heart that... Yeah. <laughs> If I'm losing at this thing, you know. I think I've always been competitive as well. Um, but I wanted I want to be competitive in the things I'm good at, yes. you know. I mean, as a human being. Yes. So I was just like, I am not going to that high school because they are going to force me to play sport and I'm going to lose and it's not gonna be good for who I am as a person. So what can I do? And then my one uncle, uh, he's young though, he was in uh NSA, his name is Mbumilamini, he's a jazz musician, and so his parents were telling my mom all about it and she's like, okay, you know, she should go. So Miss Kruger helped me prepare my audition and I got in and, you know, just like my mom had always wanted, because my mom always wanted to be a ballerina herself. So she was like partial to this yeah. idea of me being a classic dancer. So that's how I got into dancing. Oh, wow. Okay. I was just curious because, I mean, you're not a dancer now. Mm. So I'm curious to, I was just curious to know like where the dance element came. Yeah. Okay. And... So before, like you mentioned, the Devil Wears Prada had kind of that, inf that right to influence on you. What did you think you were going to be when you grew up? Interestingly, I, I, I wanted to be a firewoman, um, a firefighter oh. for a long time because it just looked really, really cool, right? <laughs> and they had the sliding pole in the yes. station and yes. I'm like, oh, that is my favorite <laughs> thing. This is a job for me. So for the longest time, I wanted to do that. And then um, 
throughout high school, you know, because I was dedicating so much of my life to dance, I just figured that, okay, I'm, I'm going to be a dancer, even though, to be honest, studying dance made me hate it, you know, because mm. um, then you've got the ballet master who, I'm quite thin, but I've got the ballet master who was busy telling me how big my bum was, and I realized my bum wasn't big at all, and you've got, you know, people who've got all kinds of eating disorders and problems because oh. you are, as a, as a young black girl, entering into a space that was not necessarily designed for your body type, yes. right? Even though you can master it and become great. You know, we have Kitty Petra, uh, who's incredible. You can master it, but like just those kinds of feelings you have about your body because you aren't able to discipline it enough to fit into this particular mold as ballet would have liked. Um, so, yeah, what did I want to become? Um when I realized that I wasn't going to become a dancer and I thought I was going to become a writer or journalist and then my mom made me go to visit. By then, I didn't know, actually. You were just going... I was just like, I'm just going to go with it. And what I do know is at the end of this, I would have figured it out. So when I got my degree hadn't figured it out, went to work at an office that I knew would be a very fun and interesting experience mm, mm. and wouldn't necessarily be a traditional kind of corporate setting. And that also didn't feel like what I needed to do. I just said, you know what? I do really well at anthropology. Um, and I guess I could become like the people around me who are anthropologists. You know, my lecturers are anthropologists. They write books. I guess I could do that. So let me go back into the school system until I figure it out. Mm. Um, and so school was really supposed to be a place of figuring it out. But the more that you spend time, especially as a postgraduate student, the more you spend time with your studies, the more you kind of have a sense of how you can grow within it and what you can do and what your own contribution can be. Um, and so that's when I realized that actually anthropology Apology is a, a very is a discipline that's rooted in racism and imperialism it's done the worst like anthropology i believe um is to blame for so much of the injustice that black people have faced all over the world you know uh, starting from the 1400s but what it did is because i had to trace that intellectual history of just how this discipline began in the 1400s and how we find ourselves where we are in 2021 where so much like from okay for instance anthropology had started having a presence in on the continent in 1921 um in cape town right i believe at stellenbosch if i'm not mistaken mm -hmm. or it could have been uct however at wits it was established in 2023 so it's been there for 98 years right and in all of that time the very reason to have anthropologists from britain come to south africa and train um, anthropologists here is because of the native question you know um the segregationist government before the National Party in 1948 and also the National Party, um, which established apartheid, they just wanted to understand black people. They wanted to understand how we speak, how we think, how we marry, how we celebrate, how we mourn, how we sleep, how we wake up. They wanted to understand every aspect of our being in order to be able to conquer us to govern us mm. and they needed to do that they needed anthropologists they needed the the science the study the intellectual discipline of anthropology to be able to do that and so that is the tradition in which I find myself working in where I realized that anthropology literally started with stories it literally started with people saying we sailed to that faraway land and we saw these people and they looked like this and they were so different to us. And so it literally started with people telling stories. And that's why I have such a very 
be big and deep respect for stories yeah because how you craft your stories today has an influence on how the people of the future see themselves understand themselves and and really live and move and be so yeah okay so wow first of all what a lesson wow okay um, but for our audience listening in who don't understand what anthropology actually is, mm. can you just break that down for us? Okay, sure. So <clears throat> anthropology is the study of human cultures, mm. of people. How it began is with sailors, travelers, missionaries in European countries who in the 1400s were starting to travel away from their own homes and discover, no, quote unquote, discovering new yes, lands, yes. right? <laughs> discovering new people, mm. coming back home and telling stories that this is what we saw. This is how they live. This yes. is how they eat. And as that happens... This is when Europeans are realizing that, hang on, so we're not in this planet by ourselves. Like, we always knew that the Asians were there. Yeah. And we know that the Mediterraneans and the Egyptians are down there, but there's more. There's more. Who are these people? And, you know, they tell stories. They don't dress. They live in the jungles. They're this, they're that. And so that's when these Europeans start to tell themselves that, oh, that means we must be at the apex of humanity. We must be at the top then. Because if these people are living like this and we're not living like that, that means we must definitely be superior. But that also means that we have lots to learn from these people. Mm. Maybe they can teach us um, how to live as one with nature. Maybe they can teach us how to be innocent. All of these very terribly paternalistic phrases uh, for indigenous peoples around the world. But that's when they decided to make it a discipline, right? And so that's how it began. But nowadays when you go to into university what really it's about it's just about understanding culture period right so you have various kinds of anthropologies you've got uh, economic anthropology food anthropology medical anthropology political anthropology legal anthropology all kinds of anthropology so for anything in the world we as anthropologists are interested in how did this begin mm. how did it come for people to come together and form um community around this thing right so mm. hip-hop right how have people decided to form community around hip-hop what is the history of hip-hop how do people speak how do people dress uh do they eat you know what do they eat um dream hampton argues that hip-hop is not a culture um and she says in order for something to be a culture you have to be able to ascribe a certain food to it um it's still in contention but you know the people speak of a hip-hop culture and people yes. speak of a quite yes. the culture and, um, you know, you look at something like, um, do, do um, what is it? Um, I forgot the phrase right now, but you look at people who do home births and doulas yes. and midwives and people then would be interested in the practices of home birth. And what is it that we can learn from our ancestors that we can bring? So anthropologists are very helpful because they help to put that knowledge into books. And while I really despise how South Africa south african anthropology formed there are anthropologists that you could look back at if you don't know too much about your Setswana culture mm. and you can find these books that they've written where they've written that these are the practices this is why they do it this is how they do it that belongs in books because of anthropologists mm. so it's a double-edged sword yeah, but we need it documented we need to understand our history exactly. but at the same time like you said it yeah. was at a terrible price. Yes. It was incredibly violent and yes. imperialistic. So as an anthropologist today, how I think I'm able to sleep at night knowing that I'm existing in this discipline is that 
there are so many stories that that have been told about black people that are terribly incorrect and there's so many stories about black women especially that have been told that are quite awful really and i'm here to do what i can to tell the story so that if everyone for instance my master's project was about you know these women that people call blessies so if everyone is going to say these terrible things about these black women because Mm. they make particular choices i'm there to speak to those black women hear what their decisions are and to just perhaps cast a different light on it Mm. so that's just a little bit of what i do wow that is so fascinating and i mean props to you for being and existing in this space thank you it does not sound easy yeah at all yeah it doesn't sound it's not easy at all because you know you're working against um decades and decades and decades and decades of a particular kind of narrative yes, exactly. and so when you insert yourself you firstly have to reference the narrative because working in citational practice means you have to constantly acknowledge that you're not the first to yes. think about it so you have to pull on all of the racism and all the stereotype you have to acknowledge it and then only carve a new path um but i suppose it's the nature of, of what i do sure okay and on top of being an anthropologist mm-hmm. you also a writer mm-hmm. you write books story storybooks um tell us about how you got into that how that happened so that um is my favorite thing in the world because i was busy with my master's project i believe in 2017 and it's really hard you know mm. um because you are trying your best to read as much as possible and write as much as possible and in between the two to have some original thoughts you know um and to be an original anthropologist if you can. And so I was not feeling my work at all. And I remember I just wanted a break. Um, I wanted a break from anthropology, but I wanted to give my mind a break. And so I started reading children's books uh, because those have always brought me joy. So I started reading children's books, discovering new writers, and it was just such a fantastic period for me. And this was me procrastinating, really. And I thought, (laughs) okay, how about I try to write a book like this, you know? And I was telling myself that, like, no, I'm not going to do this because, I mean, first of all, I don't have children. How dare I? And then as time went on, I was like, okay, maybe I can try. And I recall really around that time when I'm thinking about children's books, um, I meet up with um, Kay Bapela um, and Katu. So he basically says um, to me that, they are launching this really cool project because they're part of an agency called the Book of Swag. Mm. And they're like, we're launching this really cool um, campaign and it's with um, this bank. And they just want to dare people to do that thing that they've always wanted to do, but they just were too afraid and they kept putting off. And I'm like, I wonder what thing that is for me. And, you know, easily it was like, ah, the book. Okay, fine, the book, you know. So um, I got to be, I suppose, an influencer for the campaign for a little bit. And they gave us all a little bit of money just to get us started. So people did different things. Um, One person um, had never been to Robben Island and it was a dream of them to go, a dream of theirs to go. So they went. Uh, Some of them had grown up um, in a home. And so they decided to redecorate that home. Uh, People did different things. People Mm. threw parties. People did fashion shows. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to try and write this book. So... I managed to find an illustrator, Masaho Morulane, who I love working with. And her and I, over WhatsApp and email, put this book together in like two weeks. Um, but I had I didn't have the time to actually publish it into a book. So I just 
glue up the illustrations and I put them on A1 board and I went to a bookstore called Bridge Books Josie and they hosted me and I read for children and it was just really a fun experience. And as soon as the campaign was wrapped up, I realized that actually the story is not so bad. Like I could make it an yeah, actual Yeah, there's book. something here. There's definitely something here. Yeah. And so that's when my journey really, really started because I stayed up, you know, between me and Google and my master's thesis, I researched everything I could about, you know, what does it take to publish? Because I wanted to publish myself as well. So um, I researched so much. Uh, I looked around. I realized that in South Africa, I wanted to publish, you know, with... Um, a publisher because that would have been the easiest thing to do but I realized that not a not not a lot of our publishers publish children's books and those who do weren't open for submissions and I was like am I really gonna wait until next July mm. or is this passion burning inside me now so that's why I decided to do it myself um, and in the end you know I did it I put it together I published it I went onto social media to let people know about it and they received it so warmly, which I'm so grateful for. Um, and yeah, people really started to support the book and that's where it started with Mpumi's Magic Beads. And now you're an award-winning writer, just like that. Yeah. Because you, just from a day. <laughs> he writes. Right? And, and that's the thing. Like, it's so, it's so interesting that sometimes you need to hear someone say, Go make that dream possible. It. it is possible. Just do it. Mm. Like, don't even think of anything else. Mm. Just put your mind to it and do it. And yeah, it was a great thing. Wow. And because you've written so much more since then. Mm. Um, what's the process of writing a book like? Well, for you, like mentally. Yeah, I, I can't imagine writing a book. So what is what is that like? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because now I've had... Um, some experience with also I haven't written a full length book for adults yet although that's on the way Ah. but it's it's such an interesting process for me because because I'm I'm a poet as well right so I'm I know how to write creatively uh but poems are so short compared to books Mm. but I I what I one thing I knew going to school and learning in English about books and reading books and all of that, you know that a story must have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yes. Uh, you know that it needs to have a conflict and a resolution. You know that you need to have round characters and flat characters. So with that knowledge that, thank goodness, the Gauteng Department of Education had given me over a period of 12 years, <laughs> I was able to kind of cobble something together. My process now is a bit different from when I first started in that my process... It's, it's so interesting and I don't want to be too esoteric, but it really just comes to me, you know, like um, I make sure that I exercise every day in the morning, like I either run or walk and that's when I just allow my mind to do what it needs to do. So I took a walk this morning, for instance, um, and halfway through my walk, um, what was I thinking about? I was thinking about food, you know, um, and I was thinking about my <laughs> publisher. She sent me an article on food and I'm like, I'm going to write a story about food. And just as I'm writing and I'm looking at my neighbor's houses, I'm like, yeah, okay, so this is what happens. And this happens and this happens. So I wrote the whole story in my brain. I've plotted the whole story. It really, I just need to find a time to sit down and write it. Um, And that's really how stories come to me. I take my walks. I think about things and then they come to me. Or sometimes I say, I'd really love to write a story about this. And I set my intention and I go to bed and I dream about the story. And mm. I wake up and I write it down. Um, so that's a little bit esoteric. It doesn't work for everybody. But <laughs> what what happens is that I think as an artist, as a writer, you have to feed your craft, you yeah. know. So I read 
a lot. I read lots of children's books. I read lots of anthropology books because if you're going to master your craft, you need to understand that you're not working in isolation. Mm. You're not the first. You're not the last. You are working in a tradition of very incredible people. And you are supposed to pay homage to not only yourself, God, and your ancestors when you do your work, but you also pay homage to the greats who have come before you. And you do that by respecting their work, you know? Mm. Um, so I read a lot. Uh, when the theater's open, I go to the theater. When there are dance productions, I go watch uh, live music. I love it. I listen to lots of jazz. Just incredible artists no matter what medium they work in they get respect from me you know um and that's my writing practice by feeding my spirit feeding my mind uh keeping up with my fitness and keeping my mind and body healthy and just having a lot of time to myself so that I can listen to myself and mm -hmm. listen to the stories that come up and be able to see a house and make that a story you know um that's that's what I do. It sounds magical. I'm thinking yeah. of the word magic because obviously one of your books. Has... I love magic. Yeah, and I do think it it's magical. It sounds magical, yeah. right? I love magic. Okay. And, and I mean, as someone who's talking so much about, like you've mentioned books a lot, um, what, what, what books would you recommend for, for let's, let's pick a scenario, like for a young black woman in South Africa that's growing up trying to find her way, what books? Um, would you suggest? I think the book I would suggest is the book that really actually put me on this path, which is um, The Year of Yes by Shonda oh, Rhimes. You know, okay, look, Tell I me. was literally asking and as I was asking, I'm like, I'm that girl. So let's see what you're going to give uh -huh. me. <laughs> so you've, you've read it, I'm sure. I've read that book. I love that book. Don't you love it? I loved I uh, absolutely loved it. I love that book so much. And I honestly credit that book with changing the path of my life. Like yeah. it honestly changed how I think about myself in the world and what I'm trying to do. Mm. Um, because there's a lot of fear that comes with trying to exist regardless of whether you're in corporate or you're an artist or an entrepreneur whatever it is you're doing there's so much fear because you know how deeply you feel about this you know what you've got to give but you know that you don't exist in isolation so will these opportunities come will the funding come will people pick up your application and give you the job there's just so much uncertainty mm. and what i love about that book is she lays it bare. She's a person, you know. She tells us about herself as a person. And no matter how successful she was, even at the point where she wrote the book, she was still feeling fear. She was still feeling anxiety. And so she had to just get herself into a practice. She had to discipline herself in saying yes. Because it's easier to say no. It's easier to it's make so excuses, easy. right? Yeah. And even where she, where she talks about, um, there is a part where she says, you know, she had to say yes by also saying no to herself. Yes. That was like so incredible for me because it's like you know I don't want to wake up I want to stay in bed until 12 you know sometimes that's what I want to do but it's like no you have to say no to yourself you have to have a routine mm. you have to be disciplined you have to eat well you have to be mindful of what you're putting in your body you have to be mindful of what you're putting in your spirit and so I really do recommend that book because it just, it really put me on a different path below. Mm. Like, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just floating about. But what that book gave me was intention and discipline. You know, it gave me intention and discipline. And then I have a really amazing friend, Noklinda Mkize, 
is always talking about, um, you know, um, how to, you know, be my best self and to not fall into the pitfalls of dating in Johannesburg, uh, because that also wastes lots of young women's time I believe (laughs) you know so just say no to nice things sometimes so you can say yes to yourself because ultimately you are the nicest thing um, and your life is the nicest thing and you know sometimes you have to be alone for a very long time in order to craft that life you know yeah I'm thinking Mm. about how you mentioned um, in the beginning that you always wanted to feel special and it's funny because that feeling of specialness we often get from others yes but now as you as you say you know spending time with yourself be with yourself you need to make yourself feel special and Mm. like saying yes to yourself by saying no to certain things is one of those ways of like be special like yes you are special you don't need it from external factors exactly tony morrison says um you are your best thing and i really believe in that with my full self you really are your best thing and external validation i mean we all need it there's no way to exist without Mm, it mm. but you have to be so selective about where it's coming from and whether that person means well for you Mm. because validation coming from uh, a heart that is not pure really you could do without it honestly Mm. okay so i want you now to take us through what have been the highlights of your journey but also the lowlights okay yeah Okay, so the highlights of my journey uh, were definitely completing my master's degree because I just took so long to do it because I decided to become an author in the middle of it. So (laughs) that was such a highlight. Uh, just getting my book out there. And for me, I love celebrating everything. So the first day my book got, got into exclusive books, the first day it got into CNA, the first day it got into love books. So every single thing um, has been quite monumental for me. But of course, the first time it won a prize and the second time and the third time and the fourth time it won a prize. Oh, yes. And that was fantastic. Um, being able to work. Um, I got a call from Dr. Judy Lamini and she uh. was like, you know, let's write a book. And I was like, okay. And three weeks later, she was capping me at my graduation because she's my um, school's chancellor. Um, so, I mean, the magic in that. Um, also working with Professor Claudine Storbeck mm-hmm. and creating a book that also addresses uh, deaf children as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Um, what else? Ah, I'm, I'm working on books like all the time. So that those are highlights as well. And ah, I did a thing. Oh, being on the cover of the throne. Like what? Yes. <laughs> that was that was so cool because because um, writers don't are not cover stars in South Africa. Yes, writers are not cover point, stars actually. in South Africa. So to be working in this discipline and to be working in the work I do and to also get to be on the cover to of be, a magazine. I mean, you've been celebrated. That's yeah, beautiful. Yeah, that's amazing. To be shot by Austin Malema. I mean, I saw, that, I saw that picture. That picture was like, <gasps> he's so incredible. So that was just an amazing experience working with Karen as I well. I hope you have that, that cover like framed somewhere up in your space. <laughs> I am going to blow it up. because And there's so many beautiful photos and I'm definitely going to um, put them up. So that was fantastic. Yeah. And also uh, collaborating with MultiChoice on 10,000 Stories and um, having them, you know, be so proud of that project. Um, And I'm proud of that project, too. Having that project uh, win two awards at the Promax Africa Awards. That's also fantastic. Um, And to just, you know, 
so these are my highlights are really just knowing that I've carved a space where if you need a poet, you know, you, you might call me. And if you need a children's book writer, you might call me. I'm still working on, if you need an anthropologist, you call me. I'm still working on that one with my PhD. <laughs> but it just feels incredibly special. And I keep going back to being special because, you know, Pelo, my, my belief ne, is that with everything that our ancestors have been through in this country, it really matters that we are here and we are part of this bloodline mm. and we are part of where we came from. And our bloodlines didn't die because we're here, you know, and for them to have gone through the difficulties that they did and for us to be here being the first in our families is incredibly monumental mm. and so it's not that i just i want to be special in the context of everybody else i'm i feel special already just coming from the parents that i come from and coming from the home that i come from and having um overcome the challenges i have but also i want to be able to do something with my life that when i'm gone and you pick up my book in a, a library it can make you feel something i just want to move mm. you and i want to move children especially you know so for me, just working and, and doing this work and knowing that every time I work, I'm using my voice, my opinion, um, my lessons, you know, they, I don't, I don't get briefs, you know, like I, people are like, can you write about this? And I'm like, let me see. And I try and they like it and we move forward. But it feels good to not have to take direction from anyone else, you know, and mm. for my voice to be the thing. It's, it feels really amazing. Now the low lights, whoo. It comes with loneliness, this life that I've crafted for myself, because if you're going to spend a long time reading and writing and not just reading and writing, but reading to deeply understand and to make contributions as you write, you have to be alone to do that work, you know, mm. um, and you have to deny yourself a lot of nice things, you know, I mean, Corona corona sucks but in terms of the lockdown like this is my life i've been doing this i've been going nowhere <laughs> so i mean yeah. um but you know and and i have i have i've i i grew up in especially in in university with social friends you know people who throw parties people who are djs and yes i experienced that life it was wonderful i've, I've gone <laughs> to all the parties i could go to but ultimately like knowing that that's not my path my path is here by myself with these books it's lonely you know um but and 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 it's, a, it's just a general low light because we need people but in terms of like concrete low lights I recall when I first published this book and I got into a bookstore called um I won't even say their name because I'm trying to not think about them anymore but this bookstore was supposed to be the dream for so many black writers and so many black readers because they had curated their offering to be uh, cognizant of how difficult it is to be a black writer in yeah. South Africa and they were going to do what they can as a bookstore to try and address those inequalities by opening up also to self-published writers because as a self-published writer it's immensely difficult to get your book into stores you know so there was self-published and I'd written this book that I believed in so immensely and they believed in too and so they stocked it and it was doing so well and it was doing so great and um also, with my own mistakes that I definitely am cognizant of, um, they completely took advantage of me and many other people as well. And just like that, they just were no longer at that address. They had not paid people's money. So effectively, they had stolen our books because they had not paid for them. And, you know, self-publishing is tough because you every, you know, every 
piece of paper, you know, every color on the page. You paid for every single yeah, thing. Yeah, and yeah. it's so much more difficult if you're like trying to have a quality product. And these people just completely took advantage of that after gesturing as though their politics were not that way. Their politics were, um, you know, pro African and pro black people, but their practices absolutely weren't. So that sucked so much, mm. you know, um, and I couldn't understand why they would do this to me. Um, and eventually I learned to let it go. So that was a low light. But what it did teach me is that I don't want to be self-published. Uh, what it did teach me is I don't want to have a business. Um, you know, those are not my dreams for myself. My dream for myself is to write and to write well. Yeah. And business is not me because what I realized is that I hated there's no time to write when you're busy trying to all the figure admin, out yeah, all the, the admin, the legal stuff, mm. the financial, the finances, the taxes. Um, I was like, mm, I don't even like doing my own taxes. And now I have to figure <laughs> out the taxes for this company. So it just was killing like my passion. Write. I just want to write and other people will do yes. what they're good at. You know, I want to do what I'm good at. So I think um, I'm grateful because it was at the time that mistake was it was a mistake, but it was also a crime, really. And it was huge. You know, um, it was such a huge disappointment in my life. But when I look back at it now, it was quite small in terms of the lesson. The lesson was huge, but the what was done to me was small. The yeah, monies were small, it, you know. The, yeah, the, the, when I look at it, the monies were small and whatever, because it's like I, I, I didn't even want to keep pursuing it legally because I'm like, but these people, what they've done to themselves will follow them for mm. a very long time. Mm. But as for me, my bl blessings continue, you know, um, and it's okay. So, yeah, that was definitely a low light. Um, yeah, I can't think of any other low lights really because, like I told you, I celebrate every single <laughs> thing. So even if, um, even if I mean I, I haven't yet been nominated for something that I have not won, although that those days will come, right? Mm. And for me, even being nominated is great. Even being counted amongst the greats is enough for me. Yeah. So yeah, I there aren't many low lights. I'm just very happy to do what I do. Oh wow, I love that. I can see like the smile on your face, and yeah. it's getting even me excited. Okay. Um, do you have any tips for like any young South Africans that are trying to get into the publishing or? Or maybe maybe into writing specifically. Do you have any tips for them? Sure. I think um, what will always be evergreen advice is that um, if you want to be a writer, you should firstly know why you want to write. Um, and if maybe that is too big of a question for the moment, then you should just respect your craft. Just always start there. Mm. Um, and by respecting your craft, it means you read you understand the rules of language and even though you would like to break them and to decolonize <laughs> the way of writing, decolonize, uh, but also understand why and how you're doing it. Um, it's important to write quite, quite a lot, write a lot. Uh, you don't have to always be writing for an audience, write for yourself. Um, but also I think what I love about my particular journey is understanding that social media has been so instrumental um, to it. Mm. Um, and I think that people should really use that to their advantage um, and they should really put their work out there, but not in a way that 
you know, is pestering people to engage <laughs> with your work, but just ex- carve, find a space on the internet, carve your space on it, um, exist in it, put your writing there um, when relevant, send it out to the necessary people, but just believe in yourself every single day, believe in your, 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 your work, have a writing practice, be disciplined for yourself, and of course have your goals and, and reach out and try to make them possible. Um, but definitely read and respect your craft will yeah. always be number one definitely okay so now we're at my favorite part of the podcast where mm-hmm. i get to ask my favorite question mm-hmm. um this question comes from my favorite quote which says be who you needed when you were younger mm. that's my favorite wow. quote um, i love that i'm actually just <laughs> unrelated well related ish i'm just uh-huh. thinking of like when you know when you were speaking or when you're saying how you just want someone to be able to pick up a book of yours and feel something. Yeah. I was actually picturing, like, you know, you, t- you tell the story of how it was in grade one when you got access to that library. I just started visualizing that you walking into that library and finding one of your books. Like, that mm. would have been amazing. Mm. But anyway, sorry, that was just something I was thinking of while you were speaking. But, okay, so be who you knew when you were younger. Because yeah. I believe that even if you can't go back and change time... Mm-hmm. If you needed something or to hear, if you need to hear something or see someone when you were younger, there's somebody who needs that today. Yes. So if you could go back and talk to younger Lebohang, mm-hmm. and now this could be you at any age, it could be you last year, it could be you 10, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. um, what would you say to her? Wow. Um, first of all, I really love that quote. That is incredibly powerful. Um, I think... I would probably go back to my very young self who was dealing with my parents' divorce um, and just trying to, you know, figure out what that means to be with parents who didn't want to be together anymore and did they want to be with me? What does that mean for myself? Mm -hmm. And really just to let her know that you are loved you are one of a kind and you are going to make such a big impact one day. But most of all, you're loved, you know, and you're special and you are magic. Um, I think that would have been fantastic. But also I, I kind of got those messages from all the books that I was reading, you know, because mm. books have a way of being a friend and of being a comfort. Um, and I want my books to be that for little girls yeah. in South Africa because they were, they, were, they were amazing, but also I couldn't always relate to the stories. I couldn't always relate to the characters, but that's the magic of stories. You don't always have to necessarily see yourself, but I can only imagine how amazing it is to be a child in South Africa right now, right? Mm. And it's not just me writing. Um, it's Sihlen Jokweni, it's Rifilwe Mwaludi who's writing. Um, it's, it's, it's so many young black women and young black illustrators who are writing and creating stories. And so, yes, they'll always have the classics and the Royal Dolls and the Harry Potters and the Pippi Longstockings. But you look around and there's like Wanda and Bumi's Magic Beads and Zuleika Patel just released the yes. book, you know what I mean? So you look around and it's like 
if our confidence now, you know, um, we had the books we had, we had the experiences we had. Our confidence is okay. We, but we, can we're you, doing fine. We're doing fine. <laughs> but can you imagine like children who are young now, how yeah. more unstoppable they're going to be? And just to know that I'm contributing just a little bit, like my book can be a friend or a hug yeah. for a child who is going to sit in a corner and read by themselves. Oh my God, that's all I needed to do. Yeah. That's enough for me. Oh, wow. I love yeah. that. You are special. You are loved. Yeah. I absolutely love that. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. This has been amazing. Um, how can our audience follow your journey or get in touch with you? Okay. I have my little blog that I keep up. Um, it's lebohangmasango.com. And then on Twitter, it's lebohangwrites, which is one word. And then on Instagram, which where I, I'm never there, but it's Instagram. <laughs> uh, it's Lewo So those are the places where I can you're, usually you're be. You're on found. Instagram. I, I was watching your video of when you got the um, the Pumex Award. That the troll, trophy. The trophy. <laughs> oh, it was so beautiful and so genuine. I loved it so it much. It was. I was like in my sweat doing my work and yes. then this delivery comes and I'm like, it was just it was so incredible um and look because the thing is so authentic like you just yeah it was and and that's and i, I remember like feeling oh afterwards like oh my god i didn't even put makeup on <laughs> but i was just like you know what this is my life like yeah. i sit here in sweatpants all day and i write all day and then you know sometimes trophies get delivered to oh my, my house god. which is nice but like the truth of who i am is in these sweatpants yeah. um and i don't mind showing that to the world really yeah yeah no I, I love that I, lo I love that video i love i've loved this oh my gosh i've loved amazing. talking to you yeah this has been wonderful and i love that you like i said in the beginning but it's really important to have platforms like this you know mm -hmm. because the lie that keeps repeat that keeps being repeated is that there were no women doing this there were no black women doing this and so yeah. to document and to archive ourselves is so important because um you know, I know that the, what, what's her name? The one who is a, she works with ships. She was on the podcast as Lon well. Londi. Londi, yes. Londi. You know, you have Londi over here. You've got Karen and Tembiso. And you've got all of the amazing women who are also coming from a line of amazing women. Yes. And so what you're doing is that you're just making the circle bigger, the circle of influence, these stories, and you're amplifying them. So thank you so much for this platform. Thank you so much for listening to She Brigade. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend you think will enjoy it too. You can also share it on your social media and tag us at She Brigade. Don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the show notes. We'd also love to hear your feedback, so feel free to email your questions or your suggestions to info at shebrigade.com or DM us on Instagram or Twitter at shebrigade. Until next time, bye.